This is the Canadian Tax Podcast, episode number seven, hosted by me, Cameron Ware. Good morning. Happy Monday. It is the week of April 12th, 2021. We'll start with the news. Uh, late last week, there was a proposal for uh, to, to cap tax consulting fees. Uh, specifically, certain tax consulting fees are going to be capped at $100. Uh, in particular, this will affect... Uh, disability tax credit filings. That appears to be the uh, the target of this legislation. Uh, quote, the House unanimously passed my private member's bill to limit the amount the tax credit promoters could charge. Conservative MP Cheryl Gallant. Uh, specifically, it's Bill C-462. Uh, the details for this are going to be published this upcoming week on uh, on April 14th. It looks like it's specifically targeting firms that do uh, disability tax credit applications. I think one stat I read, there are something like 60,000 firms across the country that do uh, contingent fees. So basically, they'll, they'll help you apply for the disability tax credit, uh, help you fill that form out, get submitted, and then depending on the um, tax savings from the application of that credit and it's a retroactive credit. So anyway, point is any, uh, any tax savings, the, uh, the firm took a chunk of that. So it looks like the, uh, the politicians are going to cap the ability of the firms, uh, or rather the ability of the individuals applying for that to deduct the accounting and advisory fees related to the, uh, the disability tax credit. Next item here, um, we're always wondering about, you know, if you have a rental property and you you fix something, is it a uh, capital expenditure or is it a repairs and maintenance deduction? In other, in other words, do you capitalize it or do you get the expense for it? So a new tax case out of uh, Vancouver. I don't know if I'm saying this right, but you can review the show notes and get the actual spelling. I'm going to go with Decada case out of Vancouver. Uh, the judge helped provide some detail for uh, for what is a capital improvement versus uh, what is uh, a repair. Couple uh, couple quotes here. If something is created that did not exist before, the expense will tend to be a capital expenditure. But the judge goes on in uh, in his notes here, points out that nowhere is there specific guidance in the tax act. To that, that that lays out what is capital versus what is a repair. So further into the notes here, the uh, uh, a really good quote to to hopefully provide some context for for anybody that's pondering this question. The work done to the interior of the unit was meant to restore the unit to its original condition and not create a new asset. The work was meant to replace existing items that were worn out and had reached the end of their useful life. The repairs did not require building permits or create any building code issues. The work did not involve any redesign of the unit and did not change, alter, or increase the size, layout, or functionality of the unit. Materials and items purchased were like-for-like -like products and involved no upgrades to better quality products or materials than what was there originally. The intention of the taxpayer was to keep the unit in a rentable condition. In other words, make it suitable for its normal use. 
you can look uh, again linked in the show notes here we've got a link to the uh the canley case and uh you can review all of the the actual uh in-depth thought process behind the ruling but the point is we at least um we got some decent guidance these days in terms of uh capital expenses versus uh repairs and maintenance uh next item Similarly, I discussed this, uh, discussed this last week, but more commentary out of uh, Financial Post. We have Alan Lanthier. He's a regular tax columnist on the various uh, uh, Canadian um, publications out there, CBC, you know, it, the, the whole gamut. Um, he's discussing the, the possibility of, of why the, uh, the governments should go possibly change the, uh, the legislation behind the uh, principal residence exemption and specifically if you pay capital gains tax on the sale of your principal residence. Um, one, one point that jumped out to me here, uh, Alan points out the 1966 Carter Commission said that a principal residence exemption should exist, but at the time uh, they said it should be capped at $25,000. So Normally, the if if you read these things and you look into it, the reason that the twenty five thousand dollars wasn't included anywhere, the the principal residence exemption was picked up by governments, but not the cap. And my opinion is that that is done for political reasons, not uh, good tax legislation reasons. So similar to the U.S., uh, two hundred fifty thousand dollar principal residence exemption or 500000 for a married couple. Uh, Canada had sort of a sim- similar thing proposed in the Carter Commission uh, way back in 66. It just was never adopted. So the point is, right now, Canada is sitting in a very, very large uh, deficit. This is going to be need to, uh, it's going to need to be paid off at some point. Um, this isn't a left or right thing. It's that, you know, Canada has run up a very large visa bill and it's going to be need it's going to have to be dealt with at some point here. Uh, principal residence exemption probably is going to be something to to be considered. My comment last week was just the fact that this was being discussed it was a big news big news on the uh on the the tax planning landscape because in the past it was it was always uh political or career suicide to even mention that it should be uh, the principal residence exemption should be tweaked. And here we are, it seems almost weekly, we have a new publication coming out. Um, and, and you could argue too, I mean, the post leans a little bit right. Uh, you could argue that you, you now have people from the, on the right commenting that, hey, you know, tax changes should be in order here. So it seems to be that's the way the wind is blowing. Um, the, uh, the new budget, April 19th, next week, Monday, is coming out. So we'll see if, uh, if there's any uh, murmurings about you know, changes to, to the principal residence exemption. Moving on, uh, last item of note here. This one had me laughing a little bit. Uh, Saskatchewan, uh, they are introducing a fee on electric vehicles, which I laughed because it seems like there's all sorts of incentives to get people to switch from internal combustion engine vehicles over to uh, electric vehicles. And yet, here Saskatchewan is uh, tacking on a, a fee. So what, what um, the, apparently the logic behind this was fuel tax that it, it's paid at the pump 
uh, that fuel tax pays for repairs and maintenance on uh, on the roads. And this is it happens at the provincial level, but this is standard across the country. Whichever province, just take your pick. They level a fuel tax at the pump, and a portion of that tax goes to pay for wear and tear on uh, on the provincial roads. So the Saskatchewan government's logic here was. Uh, because electric vehicles don't pay any fuel tax because they're not filling up at the pump, uh, the government is going to levy a fee on electric vehicles to make sure that they pay their fair share of road maintenance. Um, you've got all sorts of conflicting, um, uh, I guess, standpoints there. I don't know. It's just something to be aware of. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, maybe this gets canned from uh, public pushback, but... We'll see. Anyway, I got a link in the show notes here to uh, uh, Saskatoon CTV where they detail it a bit more. Uh, moving on to uh, to questions for, for the week. This one, the first one, is about the uh, GameStop drama, if you will. The uh, You remember back a, a few months, there was uh, what's called a short squeeze on uh, on GameStop shares out of the states, and they went from being worth almost nothing to uh, at one point being almost five hundred dollars U.S. for the shares. So anyway, uh, listener writes in uh, earlier in twenty twenty one, I made some money selling GameStop shares. How do I report this for next year? Uh, is it capital gains or business income, or what do I do here? So that is. That is the question. That's always the question is, is this capital gains or is it business income? Uh, typically for, if you have, if you make money, you want the transaction to be shown as a capital gain because of course only 50% of that income is taxable. If you have a loss, the inverse is true. You always want it to be considered a business loss because then you can deduct that loss against things like employment income or any other income. Uh, if it's treated as a, as a capital loss, you can only deduct that loss against a capital gain. So rule number one, you have to be consistent. You can't pick and choose depending on what is beneficial for the years. Separately, uh, usually what, what you'll hear uh, tax professionals say is, was the income earned on account of capital or was it earned uh, on account of business? It's a little bit wishy-washy, but for for the average person, what I usually detail it as is when you bought this thing, were you planning on making a quick buck immediately? Or were you planning on buying it, sitting on the asset, and having that asset make you money? Not from selling the asset, but just spinning off some sort of cash. I think that is the difference between whether or not an asset is uh, treated as a... As a um, capital item versus a business item. So GameStop is, it's a little bit tricky, but you've got to ask yourself, what was the plan here? Were you buying it to sit on it and have it pay you dividends or interest? Did you have a long-term interest in the company at the, at the time you, you bought it? Maybe you thought it was a, uh, you know, a great company that had a great future outlook and you expect the share price to go way, way up and, and that kind of thing. Or did you just buy it to ride the wave and then dump it down the road? Um, usually short, short-term window there. That, the answer to that question is going to dictate whether or not the item is capital gain or uh, possibly business income. So uh, you have to use your discretion. If you bought it on an app 
and you just quickly swiped and then you know an hour or two later on your drive home you pushed a button and sold it it's tough to say that you're holding on to it for long term so leave uh you take take that take from that what you will um next question next question uh listener writes my accountant prepared a t5 for 2020 for my corporation for dividends that i withdrew I filed that T5 electronically at the CRA website and it has been accepted. When I'm doing my taxes in Wealthsimple tax software, the software is flagging an error on, uh, on box 11 as being 117% rate and not 115% rate. I am confused. Is this higher rate for box 11 acceptable? Should I amend the T5 myself, resubmit to CRA, and then submit my personal tax? Um, key thing is I, I want to use the, the right rate and do this correctly. So, okay, so if, if I understand this correctly, box 11 is what we call your, your grossed-up dividend amount. So in this case, if the, uh, the corporation paid $100 in, in eligible dividends, the gross-up rate for that is 15%. So instead of uh, $100 in, in income for your T1 calculation, you're going to show $115 for that. That's where uh, this uh, 15% versus 17%, I think that's what the uh, the listener was asking about. So problem number one, the rate for actually 2019 and forward has always been 15%. It's not 17%. So I'm not sure why 17% gross up is even included in here. Some calculations being done incorrectly somewhere. Uh, number two, how do you fix this? The textbook perfect answer is amend the T5. Use the correct gross up rates. Use the correct uh, dividend tax credit amount for box 12. Adjust those numbers, file an amended T5, and you're good to go. Functionally speaking, it won't change. $100 paid from a corporation is $100 on a T5. It's just the... Uh, the tax gross ups that'll uh, need to be uh, adjusted. But whether or not you need to file the amended T5, because that's going to take a while to work its way through the system, my suggestion would be just file your T1 with the correct amounts in the box numbers. Uh, you know that that's correct. You, CRA expects you to file a correct tax return. You know the correct percentages. File your tax return correctly. In terms of ma the matching program, when uh, when they review your as-filed T1 return and compare that to uh, whether or not a, a T5 was filed on the, the corporation's end, yeah, some of the box numbers will be a little bit different, but functionally speaking, the actual cash paid amounts, the actual dividends filed, those will stay consistent from the corporate T2 down through the uh, corporate T5s that were filed and then on to the uh, personal T1s that were picked up by the shareholders. Um it just, again, if you have time, you want to be extra perfect and you go ahead and file the amended T5s, it might be a bit redundant, but you can do it. Um, I, I would say main thing here, file your T1 correctly. If you file it with the 17% gross up, CRA is just going to look at it and bounce it and say you did your um, tax credits incorrectly and uh, they're going to throw it out and you'll wind up paying the, the correct amount of tax that you should have paid in the first place. So... File the uh, file the T1 correctly with the correct box numbers. Uh, go from there. And uh, separately, I might ask the uh, you you mentioned here that the accountant actually filed something. W without seeing those numbers, I I can't really 
comment in depth, but I would just, I would wonder why, I mean, you maybe ask about where, where the 17% number is coming from, because it hasn't been that since 2017. So, uh, next question. Um, this one is about a, uh, T2 specifically foreign. So this is your corporate tax and specifically foreign, uh, foreign income. Uh, Listener writes, I am filing my T2 tax return, but wanted to check where to put foreign dividends, i.e. received from U.S. companies. I see Schedule 3, but it says not to use that schedule for dividends from non-affiliated foreign corporations. Uh, so there's there's a short answer and a, and a, and a long answer here. The, the short answer is uh, you're correct. Uh, schedule 3 on the T2 is for uh, Canadian dividends. Usually it's calculating refundable tax, part four tax, things like that. Uh, it's also going to uh, report what dividends were paid to um, uh, non-arms length shareholders and uh, and that kind of thing. Uh, foreign income, uh, dividends, interest, that kind of thing, uh, specifically is reported on the Schedule 7 of the T2. This needs to be filled out correctly just because the Schedule 7 is also where your uh, foreign tax paid calculations come from. I'd say on, well, I don't know. It, it always depends on, I guess, the guy filing. Typically, for a smaller corporation like the um, listeners of this podcast, you probably don't need to worry about foreign tax paid too much uh, in, in terms of um, having a portion of that be not deductible. Uh, typically, on, on files like this, you'll you'll be able to claim all the, any all the, if foreign tax is withheld, you'll likely be able to claim pretty much all of it. The point is, Schedule 7 needs to be filled out correctly in order to flow those numbers through to the foreign tax credit uh, schedules. So where do you report these figures? Specifically, go down to Section uh, Section 3, and it's line 19. Uh, it's easy for me to say that. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that needs to be done behind the scenes, but if you just want to know, hey, where do I put this income on my T2, that's where you put it. Now, for a really basic corporate T2 with just business income, I don't usually have any issues with uh, people trying to do, to do the DIY thing. I, I support that. I, I feel like corporate taxes have got so have become so complicated that it's just it's out of control. And if a person is able to do a DIY return, I think you should be able to do it. And for your usual average uh, small business income with ex exclusively business income, you can usually make that work. It's not too difficult. Once you start throwing in investment income, you've got sort of a, whether, whether it's a, you know, a larger business that's generated a bunch of retained earnings and that retained earnings has been uh, pumped into investments in the corporation, or maybe you're holding corp and uh, generating exclusively investment income. I would like to say that a person can DIY that stuff. Uh, it gets really hard, really fast. And the problem is, you, it's not a gradual uh, issue. Uh, it's not not a gradual progression of you know you, you you slowly you know the water level starts to get up to your neck and then you go oh no I'm in over my head. No, there's a big drop off. You're good until you're not, and there's no real in between black and white test to to uh, to sort of tell whether a person can tackle it themselves or not. It really is just a, either you're good or you have a big problem. The issue is not so much filing it. it the, the problem comes afterwards when the return gets reviewed and CRA finds some errors and they start to look into things and, and reassess a whole bunch of stuff. 
and then suddenly you have a mess. And the problem is not in filing the returns, it's in fixing the mess. Usually to fix it, it causes, uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff involved with that. And that is a fancy way of saying it gets really expensive. If you're not able to fix it yourself, which it's sort of a chicken and the egg thing. If you've done it correctly in the first place, it would have been done correctly in the first place. The fact that there's a problem indicates that you probably shouldn't have tackled it in the first place, and now you need to fix it. If you're able to fix it yourself, great. If not, it means you now have to engage a firm, and that's where it gets really, really expensive because they have to, not, they have to understand what was done in the first place so that they can then fix it. It's often faster to just do it right uh, the first shot than it is to uh, fix it after the fact. So I answer that question with the caveat that, um, you know, if it's just business income that you have, small business limit stuff, you can DIY that. It's no problem. Once you start getting into investment things, I'm hesitant to say, hey, you know, do do this yourself. Worst case scenario, have, have a firm just consult. Uh, pay a flat fee, have them look over your shoulder and say, yeah, based on what you're telling me, that, that appears to look... Uh, appears to be filed correctly, but you never know. So we'll wrap things up for today. Like always, if you have any questions, send them to questions at Canadian Tax Podcast or find us on Twitter. Uh, Just one more thing to note, next week, Monday, is of course uh, budget day. So we will probably be doing the usual, uh, probably our Monday podcast like usual. Tuesday, I'll try to have a, uh, it'll either be late Monday night or Tuesday we'll have our budget-specific podcast that's going to list all of the uh, the suggested changes coming out of Ottawa uh, next week, the 19th. So with that, this is Canadian Tax Podcast. Thanks for listening. This commentary is for general informational purposes only and deals with complicated and time-sensitive info that may not apply to your situation. Tax rules are always changing and this information may not be current. Tax is complicated. This information is not tax advice. Don't rely on this info to make tax decisions. Hire a professional to help you. For more info, see canadiantaxpodcast.ca slash disclaimer.